Good morning. When I was uh, living in Alabama, uh, much of that time I was serving on the pastoral staff as a teaching elder of a PCA church, and uh, we would have meetings, meetings of elders. And one, one day I was at a commission meeting, and one of the elders uh, was giving a devotion, a brief devotion. This man was a, he was a businessman, and he was talking about prayer, which is our subject today and our focus this month here at Faith Christian Fellowship. And what he said impressed me, and it really struck me. It went something like this. He said, when we pray, we are breaking into another realm. Everything else we do is in this realm. And that's important to remember and hopefully encouraging to you as we think about our petitions and our thanks to the Lord of all. Uh, began last Sunday with this emphasis on prayer, which apparently is the tradition. You do this every, every year here at Faith Christian Fellowship. And this year, this July, we're talking about the disciples' prayer in Matthew chapter 6, also known as the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to focus this morning just on one verse in two parts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A disciple's prayer should be characterized by calling on the sovereign God and for his will to be done in this realm. But it's hard just to jump in right there, isn't it, without considering the context, without cons beginning in at least verse 9. Pastor Craig preached last Sunday and uh, verse 9 says, uh, Our Father which art in heaven hallowed be your name. The footnote in the English Standard Version of the Bible there, verse 9 says, or let your name be treated with reverence. I like that. That's a, that's a good reminder. Just about two or three nights ago, I'm out uh, trimming the hedges in front of my house in the late evening, and I heard this weird noise just about 30 or 40 yards away. I, my little side street connects with Bologna Avenue, a pretty busy place, and apparently there was some kind of interaction with a pedestrian or a cyclist and a car. And what I heard, wow, there was shouting, and, but just the abuse of the name of the second person of the Trinity. You know, it would be better to say anything else, anything else, than the way the name of the second person of the Trinity was, was referred to in that context. God, God's name is to be treated with reverence. It speaks about who he is. God, the name, the context of name in the Bible speaks about character and being and, 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 and who he is. So verse, that's verse 9. We're focusing today on these uh, next two petitions. Uh, your kingdom come and your will be done. The three phases, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. They really have a uh, parallel structure. As New Testament scholar Knox Chamblin refers to the structurally parallel nature that's especially clear in the Greek, in the original language of the Bible. Following another scholar, Dr. Chamblin says, he goes on to say, so carefully balanced are these three clauses that verse 10, on earth as it is in heaven, is probably to be joined to all three of them not just to the last one, your will be done. Okay. So we're going to start with your kingdom come. What, what does that mean for God's kingdom to come? Literally, 
in the original, let it come the kingdom of you. So the verb that governs this phrase, this verb come, this word elthato in the Greek, uh, for you language people, you uh, scholars, uh, the verb is in the imperative mood, aorist tense, and active voice. And since evangelical Christians often hold to a plenary verbal view of the inspiration of Scripture, then this is significant. <laughs> Come is an imperative. An imperative is, is a command or, or a type of an order. So when you pray for God's kingdom to come, you certainly don't have to be sheepish about it, do you? Uh, it, it, it does seem a bit odd giving the Lord a, a command. <laughs> I, I, I don't know exactly how to explain that or if that's really what you're supposed to do, but at bare minimum, we could say this, that the disciple can pray this with force and with confidence. I was reading a grammar blog online that defined the imperative verb, imperative verbs as ones that don't leave room for questions or discussion. This word elfato, the word for, for come, it's in the aorist tense. That has to do with something that's, that's finished or uh, an action that, that's been completed. We're praying that God's kingdom would come and be finished and completed. You're ultimately praying for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when he will consummate his kingdom, and there will be completion. And then the verb is in the active voice. So it's just a glimpse into, into this idea of come and how we should pray. And the, the disciple is calling on the Lord, let your kingdom come and, and be completed. Lord, do this. Then the other key word there is uh, kingdom. Again, original Basileia. This is an expository sermon. When you're assigned just one verse to preach on, <laughs> it's more easy to preach expositorily. The word kingdom is Basileia. Uh, what does this mean? How is Basileia used by Matthew, this author of Scripture? Well, let me, I think it helps to think in terms of two different types of kingdoms. Okay, you have earthly or human kingdoms, and then we have spiritual kingdom. You know, human history is full of examples of earthly kingdoms, right? You, you have a territory, you have subjects, and you have a king figure. For example, we speak of, for example, the Ming, the Ming Dynasty 500 years ago in China. Okay, that's a type of a kingdom, right? The Old Testament often speaks of kingdoms. Even in Daniel chapter 2, we read about these future earthly kingdoms that were being prophesied about. But there's another kind of kingdom a spiritual kingdom, whether it's of the Lord or G Jesus' kingdom or if it's the kingdom um, that's ruled by Satan in opposition to the Lord, who's referred to as the prince of the power of the air and the ruler of this world. Satan has a kingdom too, does he not? So in terms of God's kingdom, when Jesus is speaking of kingdom, um, He's not speaking of the kingdom that we often think of, a human earthly kingdom with a ruler reigning over subjects. He's speaking about God's sovereign reign and God's control. And it comes, when it comes into this realm, it, it's really more of a matter of the heart <laughs> and following a person as a king. As recorded by Luke, Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is within you. He said that to his disciples. So 
contrary to the expectation of plenty of Jews of his day that Jesus is going to come and set up a political kingdom that overthrows the yokes of Roman impression. No, that's not what he came to do. To the contrary, it was Jesus who said to Pontius Pilate, as recorded in John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would be fighting so I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. The, this disciple's prayer is being studied these, these Sundays in July. It's found two places in the New Testament, one of them here in Matthew. And Matthew often uses this, this word kingdoms, basileia. Fifty-three times Matthew uses the word kingdom more than any other book in the Bible, and the vast majority of those 53 references are to God's kingdom. Matthew often employs the phrase kingdom of heaven. And this uh, kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is a major theme in, in the Gospels. Uh, New Testament professor N.H. Ritterboss goes as far as to say that the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is the central theme of Jesus' preaching in the synoptic Gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So, uh, disciple, do you want to understand this kingdom? Do you want to know about this kingdom? Uh, would you like it to be maybe a little more tangible for you? Well, I would just say, listen to the king. Read the book of Matthew and what Jesus says about the kingdom. He talks about it over and over, and he makes comparisons of the kingdom to help his followers understand it better. Just in chapter 13 alone of the book of Matthew is full of comparisons of the kingdom. So, when we look at the broader uh, context of the book, <coughs> here are some things that uh, Jesus says about the kingdom that we can learn from to understand it better. Matthew chapter 8, the kingdom is going to be more than just Father Abraham and his physical descendants. <laughs> For many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 13, uh, the kingdom of God is something that expands. It starts out small, but it grows like the tiny mustard seed that becomes a big tree. It permeates and brings change like yeast that works itself through a batch of dough. Also, Matthew 13, the kingdom of God is like a treasure. And the person who finds it so excited, he's one, he goes and sells other goods to get it. <coughs> the kingdom of God is like a net of, of good and bad fish together in the net. Or it's like a field with wheat and weeds together in the field. In the here and now, they're together, but a day of separation is coming. The kingdom of heaven is made up of certain types of people. Matthew chapter 18 the greatest in the kingdom are the ones who humble themselves like a child. It's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? You know, this humility stuff goes a long way. I was reading just two days ago in devotional time in the morning in Psalm 138. For though the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Also in Matthew chapter 18, these more insights into the kingdom, the parable of the unforgiving servant. <coughs> um, the kingdom of heaven will be comprised of those who have mercy on others, who can forgive from the heart. 
And right here, even in this, this Sermon on the Mount, which includes the disciples' prayer, uh, go back a chapter, chapter 5, Jesus states about, those, about the people who are poor in spirit and also about those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we learn about the kingdom from the king. <coughs> and believers are to pray for God's kingdom to come. Does it still sound a little bit general to you? Well, let's, let's break it down towards making it practical and personal. Some good theological minds, including Dr. Craig Garriott, <laughs> have pointed out that the Lord's Prayer is a model prayer. Can we not take the model and pray it out specifically in our context? Got a family problem? Well, you take that to the king, okay? What does it look like for God's reign to be evident there in your family? Are you concerned about your neighbors or your neighborhood? Well, praying for those who don't know Christ or for change in the neighborhood is part of praying that the kingdom would come in this realm. So seek to make it practical as you pray for God's kingdom to come. Maybe it's your own heart, an issue with pride. Well, pray for God's kingdom reign, R-E-I-G-N, God's kingdom reign to come there. Perhaps it's some type of addiction to a, a substance or illicit content on a monitor or a screen what does it look like there to praying for deliverance is praying for god's kingdom reign in that area okay let's go to the second phrase to uh your will be done uh this is as i've mentioned already it's parallel to your kingdom come the word for will, in, again, in the original language, is thalema. And it's, in its most basic sense, thalema means a wish or a desire. As Strong's Concordance points out, it often carries the meaning of God's preferred will. Uh, Matt, Matthew uses this noun a total of uh, six times in his gospel, this, this, this noun, this word will. An exact grammatical instance of thelema can be found in Matthew 26, 42, where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and, and says of the cup of suffering that was before him, the cup of suffering meaning the cross that he was headed toward, he said, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. <laughs> and then we have a verb in the phrase too. Uh, be done, genetheto. This, this also is an imperative, it, a command or an order. It's in the passive voice, so it carries the idea of uh, let it come about. Okay, Lord, let your will come. So it's a really pretty straightforward translation when a disciple is asking what God, wherein a disciple is asking what God desires to be the case. And then the phrase is modified by the sphere in which, uh, in which his will will come about, on earth as it is in heaven. See, in heaven, God's will is always done, right? But uh, the earth has been tainted by sin. The inhabitants of the earth have a sin nature. Um, and the ruler of this world is the devil. 
So what we're doing here, when you say your will be done, you're praying for a breakthrough of what God wants to be the case, God's desire to happen here in the interim. Okay, interim. Before the kingdom comes in its fullest sense, before the return of Jesus Christ. So when we put these two phrases together, your kingdom come and your will be done, you, you can think of it this way, of heaven coming down. Again, I ask, um, well, does it seem a bit general or, or maybe vague as you, you think about God's will being done? Well, let's seek to make it practical. Uh, where, where do we learn the will of God? Saint, you can answer. Where do you learn the will of God? Okay, in the Bible. God reveals his will to us and. There are some places in the scripture where it's so specific, it actually uses the phrase, will of God. For example, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> he says, for this is the will, Thelema, the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. I mentioned a, a, when I began, I served in this church, this same church that I've been in before and even after I was on staff there, um, very much a missions-minded church, have a big annual missions conference every year. And lots of missionaries come in and a focus on the nations. And um, so you'd have missionaries hanging around, giving presentations, or you're sitting around the table talking, with, around the dinner table talking, and it's very common to say, well, what are your needs? What are your prayer requests? And you'll hear things like, you know, maybe uh, something for their family, or a particular ministry need as it relates to what they're doing, their work on the mission field. Anyway, this is one gentleman, very seasoned missionary, been around for a while, laboring in France. And so I asked him about how can I pray for you? And his response was this. He, he said, you can pray for holiness. And it, it really made an impression on, me, impression on me. It was different <laughs> than a lot of the other answers that I get to that question. But it's certainly in line with scripture, is it not? Right here, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Another example of God's will explicitly described in Scripture would be Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? Um. You know, God's will is the, what's good and acceptable and perfect. Well, how, how do we get there, okay? Uh, how do we prove what God's will is? Well, we don't conform to this world, but we, we seek transformation through the renewing of, of our mind. Just a brief excursus. Uh, I was able to quote that verse. Probably the reason why is... Um, I memorized it about 30 years ago. You know, it's easier to memorize scripture when you're 20 years old than when you're 50 years old, okay? Young people, think about that. But this is just a practical hint. Anyone ever heard of the topical memory system? Anyone done the topical memory system? 
memorize some of the verses my wife has. Okay, it's put out by the navigators. 30 topics, two verses on each topic, 60 verses. I did this when I was about a sophomore or junior in college, and these verses have just stayed with me. <laughs> it's maybe the most, one of the most practical, helpful things that I have done by God's grace in my spiritual walk over the years. So uh, anyway, you might look at that one. It's easy to find out there. Topical memory system. You can Google it. It's easy to get to. Um, so uh, don't be conformed to this world. Uh, that, is, that is God's will for us. Back to Matthew chapter 6, and uh, your will be done. In, pray, in praying this prayer to God, the believer is to see himself or herself as being involved, as being ready to act. One theologian has commented on this, this, on the verse this way. The petition then is not merely that I may patiently suffer God's will, but also that I may vigorously do it. I must be an agent as well as a patient. I'm asking that I may be enabled to do it. See Philippians 2.13. So we can make this prayer, this imperative, this <laughs> to God, uh, we can make it practical by um, praying about these things. Like, Lord, help me to be obedient to you. Help me to follow your will. Help me to not conform to this world. Help me to practice. Help me to turn away from X, or help me to begin, start to begin to do X in accordance with your will. You know, as I looked at this phrase, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done, and kind of compared it to the four other main phrases of the disciples' prayer, it seems to me that this is the hardest, or maybe one of the hardest, to, to really understand. It, 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 it's less natural. For, is it not more typical to pray for our daily needs or even to avoid temptation? which we're coming to in a couple of verses. Uh, praying for God's kingdom and will is, is not something that the sheep always think about so readily. But, you know, much of the, the Christian life is that way, um, such as walking by faith. L let me try to illustrate th this point through a devotional thought, um, something I read just within this past week from Oswald Chambers. His context, he's, he's talking about... Um, that we're, we're overcomers, and Romans, Romans chapter 8, that we're more than conquerors, and he states that, that Christians are super victors, and, and even when things appear to be overwhelming, in that context he says this, huge waves that would frighten an ordinary swimmer produce a tremendous thrill for the surfer who has ridden them. Let's apply that to our circumstances. The things we try to avoid and fight against Tribulation, suffering, and persecution are the very things that produce abundant joy in us. See, it's a little bit counterintuitive, isn't it? And we are more than conquerors through him in all these things, not in spite of them, but in the midst of them. A saint doesn't know the joy of the Lord in spite of tribulation, but because of it. Paul said, I'm exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. 2 Corinthians 7, 4. Wow. So it's just, it's not that easy. Um, fallen people, even forgiven ones, if you know Christ, if you put your faith in him, tend to rely on ourselves. Uh, New Testament professor Everett Harrison puts it this way in reference to the will of God. It means rather the determination that the individual shall actively cooperate with the revealed purpose of God for him. 
the power of the flesh is so great that even in the Christian, the will to do the will of God may be largely immobilized, Romans 7, 15 and following. The aid of the Holy Spirit is needed, Romans 8, 4. Continued dependence on the Spirit results in the strengthening of the will so that the meeting of the divine requirement becomes more constant. Okay, so we've talked about your kingdom come, your will be done. In conclusion, and uh, back to, to our prayer, uh, the disciples' prayer, a disciple's prayer should be characterized by calling for God's sovereign will to be done in this realm. And the disciples' prayer is one that's to be meant. D.A. Carson reminds us, that the, as D.A. Carson reminds us in saying, it is therefore impossible to pray this prayer in sincerity without humbly committing oneself to such a course. I think the temptation with this disciples' prayer, Lord's Prayer, is we've prayed it so much, and oftentimes in worship services, and I've seen it prayed in the context of a sporting event, maybe a team before or after the game. We're so familiar with it, it's, it's I think pretty easily to go through it mindlessly. Um, but isn't it ironic that the very warning that precedes the model prayer, look at verse 7, Matthew 6, 7, um, the very warning that precedes it uh, is perhaps the temptation we have in praying the prayer itself. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. So, uh, in terms of application, uh, four things, and they're going to be brief. One, if you don't know the king, come to the king. Come to Jesus. We're all sinners. The penalty of sin is death. We're headed for an eternal separation from God, except for this good news, this love of God. He did something. He provided a solution. God himself came down and died on the cross as a substitute to make atonement, to pay the penalty of sin and deal with the, God's anger against sin. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ as a substitute and submit to him as your king, say, Jesus, I need you. I can't save myself. Come into my life and save me. If you do that, you're forgiven and you become a child of God and with certain a lot better capacity to do God's will and a heart to do it because your heart has changed and the Holy Spirit lives within you. So if you haven't come to Christ, I would encourage you to come to him today. And uh, please feel free to talk to me or one of these elders or just one of the saints after the service and to get help with that. Or if you want to pray with someone or go to the prayer room after the service, just right across the hallway here. Um, secondly, in speaking of the will, the thelema, the wish or the desire, uh, we need to think about what is my will? And is my will submitted to God's will? Third, dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Well, what does that mean? I just referred to it a moment ago when I was quoting this uh, Bible scholar. Um, dependence on the Holy Spirit. I, I like, I, I used to be on staff with Crew, Campus Crusade, and um, Bill Bright's uh, Crusade's kind of definition or understanding of that, they'll talk about being filled with the Spirit and compare it to spiritual breathing, okay? Exhaling and inhaling. Exhaling is I confess my sin. So part of being filled with 
spirit. If I sin against God, I confess that, and then I inhale. I appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. Okay, well, what does that mean? Appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. One, is it God's will that you're filled with the Spirit? Yes, it is. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Second, does God answer prayer in accordance with his will? If you pray in accordance with his will, does he answer it? Yes, he does. 1 John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything in accordance with his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the thing which we have asked from him. So it's biblical to pray to be filled with the Spirit. So you pray that way and, and, and trust God uh, with that, that appropriating, inhaling the power of the Holy Spirit. Another, again, in, in my context of growing spiritually in college and being involved in this ministry, at one point someone explained to me fullness of the Spirit is yieldedness. That's a word that helped me, yieldedness. <laughs> I'm yielding to God. Certainly, when you think about depending on the power of the Spirit, the, the Word of God, look at Colossians chapter 3, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Certainly, that's a good explanation, understanding of the filling of the Spirit. Let it dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So, dependence on the Holy Spirit. And then, um, finally, I would say this, just in terms of our personal prayers, well, pray along the lines of God's will to the best you can, but you've got a tremendous aid, don't you? You've got a completed canon. That means standard or rule. You've got 66 books of the Bible. Not all followers of God had that, a completed canon. Okay, even the Apostle Paul didn't. <laughs> all right, but you've got this in God's will and so much that's already revealed to you and to me. I just referred to 1 John 5, 14 and 15, praying in accordance to God's will. We know that he hears us, and we know the thing that we have the thing that we've asked from him. Do this, and your prayer life should improve. And just a, a practical idea as it relates to not just this verse, but the whole series and prayer. And uh, You know, one thing that I've done over the years, uh, certain times I've probably done it better than other, but um, is have a, in my journal, have a prayer list. Here's the request. Here's the answers. Okay? Um, but as I've done that, at and I'll start over periodically with a new list, but as I've done that, there's been times that I've been encouraged when I'm writing those answers over there and I see what's happening. I think the tendency for the saints is we pray and then we forget, and we forget, we miss out on the blessing of seeing how God answered the prayer. So that's something that can be, be a help practically. Also, it can help with giving thanks. I also think the saints were pretty, it's easier to and sometimes they give thanks but if you're keeping a prayer journal and the record of the answers even if it's no or wait or you can give thanks to the lord as we're certainly called upon in the scripture give thanks in all things so um a disciple's prayer should be characterized by calling for god's sovereign will to be done in this realm and you can do it confidently let us pray Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving sinners. But God, we're weak and we go our own way and we fall short, Lord. Uh, God, just pray that you'd work in our hearts that we would have a desire for your kingdom reign and for, for your will being done. Lord, pray for your blessing on this church, for your 
your will here. We thank you for your revealed will, and even it doesn't tell us in the Bible who's supposed to be the next pastor, but we think we're following the principles. Pray for your guidance for the session and then for this body, as Elder Bill reminded us, as, as these, these members vote. Pray that you would guide and your will would be done in that towards the right next person to lead. Lord, we thank you for your goodness, and we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you would stand and receive the benediction.